They say that beside every great man is a great woman. I believe this to most certainly be true. After all, FDR had Eleanor Roosevelt and Barack Obama has Michelle Obama. However, what's also true is that 99% of the time, we, the public, know little to nothing about the stories of these great women. Michelle Obama, in a lot of ways, has broken this mold. Her active social media life, memoir, and television projects have allowed us to know her much more intimately than many other leading ladies before her. However, MLK had Coretta Scott King, Malcolm X had Betty Shabazz, and Megger Evers had Merle Evers. Yet the public consciousness holds very little space for the lived experiences of these women. So who were they? And why should we know their stories in addition to their husband? On this last day of Women's History Month, we'll explore their legacies and what they can teach us about today's movement for civil rights. It's a takeover episode. My name is Ray King, and you are listening to The, the, the Breakdown. For those of you listening who may not know, I am Ray Tanisha King, wife of the host of this podcast, Sean King. I actually host my own podcast called Woke at Work, spelled W-O-C, which stands for Women of Color, um, because we're so clever. Um, I host that podcast with my friend, Dr. Blanca Ruiz. But today, I'm stepping over to the breakdown on this last day of Women's History Month, to talk about a subject that has grown to be near and dear to my heart. That is the stories of the wives of the civil rights movement. It's shocking to me that we know so little about them. When I was a senior high school student growing up in Lexington, Kentucky, I found a book in my school's library titled Watch Me Fly, What I Learned While Becoming the Woman I Was Meant to Be. It was written by Merle Evers Williams, the wife of slain civil rights leader Megger Evers. You could say it was the becoming book before Michelle Obama's book. I don't know why I would gravitate to such a book as a 17-year-old. I was dating Sean at the time. Um, He was a sophomore at Morehouse College and perhaps was already fancying himself a bit of a revolutionary. So maybe that had something to do with it. I also just loved memoirs, though. At the at the age of 17, you know, we're all kind of trying to find ourselves and, and considering colleges and what we might want to study and trying to nail down our interests. Um, during that time, I found a lot of inspiration and grounding from the stories of women like Merle Evers. Her book taught me uh, an important lesson very early on, and that is that Women like her existed outside of their role as the wife of their famous husband. As a matter of fact, I knew her story before I even fully understood who Megger Evers was. It was through her that I came to know him. Um, after her husband was assassinated, um, Merrily Evers set about the business of continuing to raise their three children. I really want to pause here. Um, Merle Evers was very young when they met, just 18 years old. They actually met on her first day of college in, um, in Mississippi. 
And after just a couple of years together, actually, maybe even just after one year, they got married and had children. Um, And he was assassinated just 12 years into their marriage. So I want to pause here to, to have a sit with this understanding for a minute. Her young children were nine, eight, and three when their father was killed in the driveway of their home just four days before Father's Day in 1963. This likely means that the Father's Day gifts for that year had already been purchased, maybe already been wrapped, hidden away, um, waiting to be given to him um, on Father's Day. Um, It also means that their children were home, actually, heard the gunshots, and saw the body of their father in the driveway. As I think about my own children, I have to imagine that this is a trauma that stayed with them for their entire lives. A slain man, a slain husband means an empty seat at the dinner table, an absent face at your sporting event or your recital, and for Merle, uh, an empty spot in the bed at night. I would imagine that Merle Evers and her children experienced hardships and and pain and suffering that's probably only lightly illuminated and detailed in her memoirs. Again, she was just 30 years old when he was killed, and suddenly she's thrust into the spotlight as a grieving widow with the weight of the world on her shoulders. Today, I want us to hold space for that struggle, for that injustice, and for that unknowable pain. These are not just Uh, footnotes in the history of this country. They are real human lives that suffered under the weight of white supremacy um, during the civil rights movement. And so I don't want the real human toll of that to be lost um, in this moment, but to be felt as deeply as possible. Put yourself in this position, put your loved ones in this position, put your children in this position, and understand that this is what someone like Merle Evers was navigating. In addition to raising their children after his assassination, Merle Evers moved to California and went on as a single mother to finish her degree in sociology at the age of 35. I am a current doctoral student with three kids at home and two kids in college. And I also earned my master's degree as a mother to five children, Um, except I had the support of my husband with me. Merle Evers had to do this after facing the tragedy of Medgar Evers' killing and as a single mother. She went on to co-write a book about Medgar Evers' life called For Us, The Living, and went on to serve in many important roles in both corporate, nonprofit, and the political sector, including working um, at an advertising firm. She served as a community relations executive at an oil company. She was the first female board chair of the NAACP, the first African-American woman commissioner for the Los Angeles, California Board of Public Works, and the first Black female to lead the Southern California Democratic Women's Division. She did all of this while also working tirelessly to ensure that her husband's killer was convicted of his murder. Two trials in 1964 resulted in hung juries. 
Mrs. Evers wouldn't see justice until 1994, when Byron Della Beckwith was finally convicted of the murder of Meckert Evers after 31 years. For 31 years, Merle Evers helped track down evidence, followed up on leads, pressed state authorities to stay on the case, and jumped through endless amounts of legal maneuvering to ensure that her husband would one day see justice. Imagine, just imagine, trying desperately to live a full life of meaning. She eventually remarried. As I said, she finished school, navigated several different steps in her career, um, all while having to manage the legacy of her slain husband and demand for 30 years that his killer be brought to trial. Having that unfinished business always lurking over you is, is, a, is a feat that I can only imagine. Today, Dr. Merle Evers-Williams is an 88-year-old activist and scholar. Medgar Evers was her husband for just 13 short years before he was killed. And while their short time together certainly shaped the next 58 years of her life, it didn't completely define it. She gave the invocation at Barack Obama's second inauguration in 2013, not because her husband was killed by a white supremacist 50 years earlier. Unfortunately, too many widows actually have that story. Dr. Merle Evers-Williams was invited to give that invocation and has been invited to many other stages because of what she chose to do with her life. She didn't begin to exist when she married Mecker, and she didn't cease to exist when he died either. She chose to live and live fully, and we should know her story. There's so much we can learn from the life and the lives of other wives of civil rights movement leaders. For instance, did you know that Malcolm X's widow, Betty Shabazz, had an earned doctorate in higher education administration from the University of Massachusetts and served as a professor of health sciences at Medgar Evers University until her death in 1997. Medgar Evers University is actually relatively close to, to where my family lives in Brooklyn. And so whether I'm going on a walk or going for a bike ride, um, or going for a COVID vaccine, as we did recently, I am keenly aware of the history um, steeped in that place. There's something kind of poetic and, of course, tragic about her teaching at a college named for a fellow civil rights, um, slain civil rights leader. Then there's Coretta Scott King. She is, of course, perhaps the most identifiable name of all the wives of the civil rights leaders. However, her own notoriety is nowhere near that of her husband's. For instance, did you know that Coretta Scott King has memoirs about her life and marriage to Dr. King titled My Life with Martin Luther King Jr., written in 1969, and My Life, My Love, My Legacy, written in 2017? A quick view of both books on Amazon and Goodreads reveals only sparse readership somewhere between 200 and 1,000 reviews each. Another book about her life titled Desert Rose, written in 2012 by her sister and her daughter Bernice King, is even lesser known. 
Did you know that she was a passionate follower of nonviolence resistant movements before she met Dr. King? And she is actually the one that introduced him to many of those ideas, which he would eventually become famous for. At a time when few people took women's education seriously, Coretta King was the valedictorian of her high school. She earned her BA in music from Antioch College and her master's degree at the New England Conservatory of Music in New England, where she was introduced to Martin Luther King, whom she originally was not even very much attracted to. This obviously changed at some point um, because they went on to marry in 1953. And though they had four children together, Coretta can often be seen in photos and video footage of the time, marching right alongside her husband in many civil rights demonstrations. Every threat he faced, she faced as well. It was her home that was bombed, barely missing their newborn daughter at the time. It was her husband who was stabbed by a crazed woman at a book signing. It was her children's father who was eventually eventually assassinated so tragically. This man belonged to her. This man belonged to her children, to her household. Every danger he faced, every uncertainty, every assassination of other leaders that he watched, she watched as well and likely harbored fear and some level of worry in her heart concerning him. Like Merle Evers, Coretta Scott King went on to live a full life of her own. But perhaps more than any of the other wives, she totally and completely dedicated herself to the preservation of her husband's memory. She fought and lobbied for a National King Holiday. She built the King Center in Atlanta, Georgia. What's little known is that all of these women, Merle Evers, Betty Shabazz, and Coretta Scott King, were actually very close friends who would even secretly vacation together um, during times and in places where they wouldn't be seen or disturbed. Their children grew up together, um, no doubt bound by their their shared tragedies and injustices. So why should any of this matter to us today? Why should Merle Evers, Betty Shabazz, and Coretta Scott King be more than a footnote in the lives of their iconic husbands? Simply put, We would not know their husbands if it weren't for them. When Betty Shabazz died, both Coretta and Merle attended the funeral with King, saying of their sisterhood of sorrow formed by the assassination of their husbands, we married their mission, and that became our mission when they were no longer there. In the midst of following their own dreams and passions, These women are responsible for making sure the world never forgot their husbands and the importance of their work. What would MLK's legacy be without the King holiday that ensures that his name is known to generation after generation of school children? What would the legacy of Malcolm X be without the autobiography of Malcolm X, which was commissioned by Malcolm himself, but finished and released after his death? and given life by the commentary of his widow and children. And without Merle Evers' commitment, Megger Evers' killer might never have been brought to justice, even 30 years later. It is an awesome burden to carry a legacy. Though I hope to never have to know the pain of these women and, and join such a tragic sisterhood, 
I have often tried to put myself in their shoes and wonder how I would respond under similar circumstances. Um, If you're listening to this, you know my husband likely, you know the work that he does, you know the lightning rod that he is, and you know um, the constant threat as well as some of the specific threats that his life um, has been under. And so in full transparency, I have considered how I might react or respond if I found myself in a similar situation as Coretta Scott King and Merle Evers and and Betty Shabazz. Um, Would I try to carry on my husband's work? Would I try to clear his name of all the smut and mudslinging lies that have come to dominate the narrative of of who he is in this recent iteration of the Movement for Black Lives. To be sure, the same kind of um, slander um, existed against their husbands as well. Um, I wonder, would I write books and memoirs and hit the speaking circuit to discuss his work and, 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 and Sean's legacy? Or, or would I just grab my children and escape to some far-off place never to be heard from again? Would I turn down every media request, basically go dark and give a middle finger to the world that snatched his life from us? How would I go on? How would I respond? And how would I raise my children to go on and respond? The answer to that is, of course, I have absolutely no idea. Um, Again, it is an awesome burden to carry a legacy to be the living embodiment embodiment of hope and courage and, and the fight for justice, to never be able to make a public mistake or misstep because of who you represent, to raise children with that weight on their shoulders as well. Yet these women did it. And though they had their moments or even years of self-isolation, some more than others, they never completely shied away from the bearing of their husband's legacies. 50 years after their deaths, we know their husband's names because of them. Now in the next 50 years to come, let's work to know their names as well. And not just their names, but their hearts. After all, Martin's courage was Coretta's. Malcolm's rebellion was Betty's. And Megger's commitment in the face of danger was also Murley's none of what they did would have been possible without the expressed support, backing of the women in their lives. On this day in Women's History Month, I am grateful to these women for their sometimes forceful, sometimes quiet example. May we be the carriers of their legacy. Break it down. I'm Tiffany Hawkins. I'm Alan Boomer. And we are the Momentum Advisors. Every single week, we talk about wealth management, personal finance, and entrepreneurship. We are financial advisors by day. We're entrepreneurs by night. We're building wealth for ourselves, and we want to make sure that you understand how to build wealth in your own family. Tune in for shows like Is Your Money Racist? Retirement Savings? Investment 101? We literally run the gamut on all the things that you need to know about financial wealth, creating a legacy for your family, and really just wealth creation as a whole. What we find is that these conversations are happening 
but they're not happening as much as they need to in diverse communities. And so we're bringing a new voice, a new amount of energy, and we want you to tune in. So we bring the tips, we bring the strategy, and we always bring the good news. So make sure you tune in every week to the Momentum Advisors. There's something for everyone. Yeah.